Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. So before we're seated, we got to do some declarations, so stay standing on your feet. Uh, put your hand on your heart. We are not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance yet. Uh, what we're going to do is say some things about us that God says about us. The words will be on the screen. Say it with me. I declare that I'm, I'm created, created in the, the image of God. God. I'm, I'm blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill, fill the earth, and take, take dominion. dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare according to 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen. Yes and amen. Today I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up. Say, come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, one of the things I want to say before we, before we just jump into this, because um, you know, some people, whether you're watching online or in this room, you're like, man, that's a lot of America for church. And I'm not really sure that the Bible talks about America. Um, <laughs> Jesus didn't die on the cross for America. So that's, that's what a lot of people will say on days like this or in seasons like this. One thought I want to give you in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, the founding fathers who were all under the age of 25, most of them were, they said something that has only been codified in the founding document of a country one time in world history, and that's in America. They said, we believe that our creator has granted us inalienable rights. And um, that might be significant to you. It might not be significant to you. Let me tell you why it's significant. In a large part of the world, people believe that the government grants rights. So that means that the government can give you rights and the government can take your rights away. In America, what we believe is that God has given us rights and the role of government is to reinforce the rights that God has already given us. <clears throat> what, that, what that means is that regardless of how a person feels about the rights that we do have or the rights that we don't have, they don't get to decide the rights that we have. And the reason why that's important is because of places in history like the Soviet Union, places in history like Nazi Germany, places in modern history like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, North Korea. Those are the kind of places we could go live and we could be in where rights are granted by the government and rights are granted by people. The reason why the... The, a day like tomorrow is so important to us as Christians, and it should be so important to us as Christians, is because freedom isn't just something that God wants us to have. Freedom is something that people paid their lives for for over 250 years of this country. The Bible tells us that God has given us freedom, that it's for freedom that God has made us free. And the founding fathers in the United States of America saw it as the responsibility of the American government to reinforce that right. And it would be really nice if it was just God that could do that. But for 250 years, there have been people that have fought and died and bled. And those words that are written on the Declaration of Independence are not written in ink, they're written in the blood of people that have given a lot to make sure that we can do what we're doing today without threat, without fear, 
without worrying about whether or not we're going to go to jail. In, in places like China, that's not the reality. In places like Iran, which I said, that's not the reality. In America, we get the freedom to do this today. We get the freedom to worship God the way that we want to worship God that aligns with the right that God gives us to do that because of the people that stepped into history and said, we're gonna build a place where this happens. We're gonna build the one place in the world where we believe that the rights that are given to us are not granted by human beings, they're not granted by an emperor, they're not granted by government, they're granted by God himself. And so what I wanna do, what we wanna do before we move further in this, in this service is if you've served in law enforcement or in our armed forces or you're a first responder, can you just stand on your feet so that we can honor you? So you can, be, you can be seated and um, just know we're always going to be grateful. And um, so we're honored to do this today. And if you needed a little bit of intellectualism to add to the patriotism, uh, you're welcome. And uh, I'm, I'm privileged. Yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah, I felt I, it. If I could just thank you. <laughs> you know, that, that comes from us doing so much relationship together. I was saying to Lindsay yesterday, it's going to be so fun because more than like my father and my wife, I spent the most time talking to you in my life, but just to add on to what you were saying there about the Declaration of Independence and what tomorrow is, I have so much uh, honor for all the men who stood, just like the men who signed that Declaration of Independence. The preamble's the best part, but then they finish with saying, we, we pledge our life, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to this. You know, more than a dozen of those guys were under 35. Uh, nine of them were killed by the British for what they signed and what they did. And I just honor those men yeah. for, for what, yeah. they, what they did and what yeah. they believed, just like the men who served yeah. in our armed forces. And, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today because sometimes it does take people. You know, for me and Garrett, like I said, we grew up together. Uh, what I like to say about me and Pastor Keith is we're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Me and Garrett are like from different planets. And uh, we're two, we're I wanted, two aliens, I but we're from different worlds. Before, what? I wanted to say one more thing. Please. If that's okay. Feel free. Um, not to speak for, for other veterans, but this is a question that I think a lot of veterans, I, I get asked sometimes and other veterans get asked this time, certainly around this time of year. Um, you know, does it, does it make you mad when you see things like people burning the flag and, and things like that? Because we used to see that 20 years ago, but now we see it more than ever. And, you know, to answer that question, and I think a lot of veterans will agree with me, but not to speak for them, but I think they will, is that it's not that it makes me mad. It, it, and honestly, it hurts my heart, and I'm sad for those people. Not that I need them to honor a price that I paid, because this country is what it is. That has, it has nothing to do with me. I just got the opportunity to serve it. Um, what, what hurts me is that these people can't see the freedom and opportunity that's given to them. And I think it's a lot how, how our creator feels about us when we don't live the way that he wants us to. He's not mad at us. He's saying, can't you see what I've, the doors that I've opened for you? Can't you see what's possible? And that, that's how I feel about it. So, um, so me and Garrett have done a lot of life together, and uh, every time I want to go slow, Garrett wants to go fast. Uh, My I don't dad ever used to call go you fast. Speedy. Yeah, they call me Speedy. Like, like coffee, it was so, it was so funny. <laughs> People that get to know me for the first time, they're like, this guy's an interesting person. So I'm walking. So if you see me walk, no, I don't have a limp. I don't have some kind of issue. 
I've got some kind of mosey. I don't know. My hips are off, whatever. The reason why I say that load bearing. is because yeah, I'm load bearing. I'm like an ox. <laughs> so just carrying the weight. But uh, so Coffee this morning when he walks in, he's like, hey, man, you okay? You're kind of limping. I'm like, no, I just is how I walk, man. I just mosey around. <laughs> so I walk like that. Garrett walks like a Navy SEAL. And um, when we were growing up, when we were growing up together, uh, I would always have to say to Garrett, like, hey, bro, we're on the same team because he was so, like, physically aggressive with me. Even though I was bigger than him, uh, like, I would have bruises on my shins when he was little. Like, I, I'm three years older than him, so I would be 13, he'd be, like, 10. And he would, I mean, we would be at church. I would be standing there. This is show, I don't know why. Maybe you can explain why. We'll get into the message in a second. I'll be standing there. Garrett would come up to me, run up to me, and kick me in the shin as hard as he could. Never got explained as to why. Uh, so I would. I attacked so, you in many ways. Yeah, it was like very much like be on guard. Another thing that happened, I said this in the first service, so I'll go ahead and say it. So in, in Scott and Darlene's house, they have a. You go up their stairs and there's like a little bridge over the living room where the, there's like two banisters and it's kind of like it goes into their upstairs area, but it's kind of like a bridge. So I'd go to hang out with Garrett when I was in high school. I'd drive over to their house. I'd walk in the door. It's pitch black in the house. And I'm walking underneath where the stairs are because it's right by the front door. And all of a sudden, off the, no sound, no nothing, off the banister of the stairs about 10 feet down, Garrett jumps and lands on my shoulders. And, uh, you gotta stay ready. You gotta stay ready. That was the thing. You never know. You never know if you're gonna be under attack, Josh. Like, yeah, man. So, but, like, all throughout my teenage years, I was, I would be like, Garrett, man, same team. We're same on the team, same bro. team. Same team. Why do I have to defend myself? I can myself? answer that question for Go for, you. Yeah, please do. Well, there was a season. There was a season of our lives when, yeah, you're three years older than me, and you'd started to go through puberty, and I hadn't, and you were like, for real, <laughs> twice, you were two of me. You were twice my size. So the reason I would like assault you, other than you being my assault friend, you. is because you, of, of like everyone that was in students, you were the biggest guy. <laughs> yeah, So that's right. Like, let's go, let's see yeah. what you got. Garrett's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, hey, we're two alphas, let's alpha together. I didn't really feel like I was an alpha. Um, he's always known he was the alpha, and he just told me that I was one, so I've decided to agree Let's with him. Let's go. <laughs> so, um, so that's a lot of me and Garrett's life, and um, so he grew up together. In you, you've rubbed off on me in a lot of great ways, Thank too. Thank you. Slowed you down a little bit? No, no. <laughs> Show, showed, showed me how to out. think, showed me a lot of things. Yeah, thank you. Take, played video games a lot. That's usually what I bring to I a relationship. I watch most of the time. Food, bring you a lot of, introduce you to some good food that's going to make you unhealthy. You know, the other day, like yesterday, I went to breakfast. Garrett ate really healthy. I ate uh, pancakes. And um, so that's what I bring. Um, the ox. <laughs> the ox. Just get, get thick, permabulk. So um, <laughs> in 2009, uh, in January of 2009, I just graduated. It really is the end of 08. I just graduated from college, and I had been in school for three and a half years. I was so excited to come home. I'd pretty much had three and a half years without. I would come to come home every month uh, to kind of hang out at the church, but I was so excited because I was going get to home, get home and get to do life with Garrett. Garrett was in town, and we were going to get to spend a lot of time together. So I remember in December of 2008, we went and hung out. I just moved home, and uh, Garrett was like, hey, man, I want to talk to you about something. And so his car was here at the church, and I remember, like, vividly, we pulled up in this parking lot here at this building, and um, this building wasn't built yet, so it was our, our phase building, one yeah. building over here. We pulled up in front of it, 
And he was like, hey, man, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. And he said, I just the other day, I just went and I signed my SEAL contract and I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and I'm going to go away for six years. And uh, I was like, well, can you, can you unsign it? Because <laughs> I, I want us to do life together and you're going to be, I, just, I was just gone for three and a half years and now you're telling me you're going to be gone for six. Like, what does that mean? And then the Navy SEAL thing, it's the most dangerous thing ever. You could die. Literally, you could die. You're not going to college somewhere. You're going to go all over the world. And um, so the way you decided to be a Navy SEAL is a really interesting journey, I think, for all of us yeah, as your friends and family sure. around you. <laughs> so the, uh, the first people who found out about me joining the military were my parents. And I left a letter on my bed that they at some point found. I don't know. I honestly, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know what that was like for them. I know it was not, <laughs> wasn't a great experience. Uh, but I left a letter for them on my bed that I'm sure when they couldn't find me or get a hold of me, they discovered. And that letter said, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this way, but I'm joining the military. I'm going to, uh, tonight I'm going to be at military processing station. My uh, recruiter had picked me up down the street. And uh, when I get back tomorrow, we can talk about it, but I just joined the Navy. Um, so that was kind of like a difficult <laughs> moment for my parents. And, you know, the Bible says. Yeah, and, for all of us, it was just a done deal. It's like, oh, this is. Yeah, this is it. The Bible says in the multitude of, of counselors, there is wisdom. And I have no counterpoint uh, to why I, I chose to We did do not that. access the multitude. But I, but I can, we did not. <laughs> but I can, I can make an explanation. But so my parents found out that way, and then I slowly told all of you guys. But what I knew for me was that no one was going to encourage me to do that. No one was going to say, you know what, Gary, I think it's a great idea that you go like risk your life in one of the hardest things that you could possibly do and go through the most difficult training process that the military has to offer. That's certainly a great thing for a 19 year old to, to do. I knew yeah. that wasn't what I was going to hear. Yeah. And our response to that wasn't like discouraging, like, oh, you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. Our response was like, hey, man, don't why would you Don't leave? do this to us. Don't leave. <laughs> Don't leave us. Um, yeah. But then you go in, you go into boot camp. Yeah, this you was, like, so how long was that? It from was the one time of those you... moments for me that um, just like there's, there's certain people in the Bible who, there's some people who, like Moses who God appears to him and says like, hey guy, like I'm going to tell you very clearly what I want you to do. And there's other people that God just put something in their heart. And uh, that was very clear in my heart that this is what I was supposed to do. And I grew up in this house and I just want to say thank you so much to Pastor Keith and Pastor Sheila. If I know anything about myself, I know what I'm a product of. And I'm absolutely more than anything a product of this house. I'm a product of great parenting. I'm a product of the SEAL teams. I'm a product of a lot of things. But at my deepest foundation, I'm a product of who Elevate Life is and, and what Pastor Keith and Pastor Sheila started over 20 years ago. And I just want to say thank you for that. And, it, and it's in this place. It's in this place. You know, when we started the church, I was 10 years old and my dad would drag me along fathers, bring your sons with you wherever you go. It was, uh, my dad, you know, says it. It was inconvenient to bring me along, uh, but he took me, and I learned so many things in that. I learned who my father really was. I also learned what it means to serve, which is something that you can learn in this house, and I learned that at a young age, and as I got older, I decided, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to serve not just in this house, but on behalf of this house, because there weren't very many people uh, at, it was Celebration Covenant at that time, but Elevate Life, weren't very many people here who had served in the military. And I knew for me, like, that was something that I had to do was go represent this place. Not that it was for a lifetime, but like Pastor Key says, some things are for a season, and that was a first season for me. Uh, so I chose to do that just out of my heart to serve. Yeah, and um, so you go, you tell us all, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, I remember you going to boot camp, and pretty much, like, throughout your journey, 
I feel like more people than not have said to you, like, hey, bro, you, like, for us, it was like, man, don't leave us. Yeah, for you, everyone else, it was like, you don't have what it takes to be a SEAL. Yeah, so you guys, it wasn't that you were discouraging, but you weren't necessarily encouraging either, my family and friends. But then in everybody else in my life, all, outside my other circle, the people that I trained with, my recruiter, my recruiter told me, I'm friends with him now, um, and, and he sees me differently. But at that time, he said, like, you're the most arrogant guy I've ever met. Like, how could you be so confident that you could become a Navy SEAL? Yeah, because he had said he, said... he said, I've signed this contract for four other guys, and none of them made it. What makes you think that you're going to be the guy? Yeah. Right? I heard that. I heard, you know, this is what it takes. I had so many people show like, uh, and even, I never had a SEAL mentor. I didn't mention this before. I never had a SEAL mentor. Most people get one. The guy who was the SEAL mentor for the North Texas area uh, had been called up on reserves at that time. So when I joined, the guy who, you'll think this is funny, I don't know if I ever told you this, the guy who was the SEAL mentor at that time was a guy who had dropped out. And he was the, he was the mentor. So this guy who had, <laughs> this guy who had actually never like made I'm it Like I'm not actually process, a Navy SEAL. I tried and didn't make it. Like what a great guy to like tell everyone, you know, here's what it takes. <laughs> right? So like in every step of my journey, getting into this place, trying to follow my dream, no one encouraged me. Uh, again, not that you guys discouraged me, but there were a lot of well, other we people. Did, we did discourage you, but it was like maybe for, for the right reasons. And, and <laughs> I, heard it from, I heard it from, especially from my recruiter and from the other, some of the other people that I trained with, like, how do you know? How could you be so confident? Yeah, because you didn't say, I'm going to go try to be a SEAL. I never said I'm going to try. I said, that I'm going to go become a Navy SEAL. And I'd heard it my whole life, you know, from you, uh, Pastor Whitney, probably the most times, like, you're crazy. Like, I heard it my whole life. You're a crazy person. Yeah, we, we would just call Garrett a psycho, and he was like, you're psycho. You're a psychopath. I mean, it was like, you're, it's like it was the thing in our well, if you know, wrecking bicycles. If you breaking, know me now, you, you know, know that I'm calculated. But yeah. back then, nobody thought that I was. And what people would say is, like, are you sure? They thought I just made some shotgun decision yeah. to go try the hardest thing. So I get into, I get into uh, the Navy, you know, and it's all, incur it's all discouragement until I get to the Navy. And then, you know, people start to believe in me. Yeah, totally, that's certainly right? not the case. Yeah, like because at boot camp, anyone who's gone to boot camp would say, this is the most encouragement I've received my in my entire whole life. time in the military, and I served under some great people. I got the opportunity to serve at SEAL Team 3, which is where Jocko's from, uh, Chris Kyle, Michael Monsoor, Medal of Honor winner, uh, Johnny Kim, astronaut, Dan Crenshaw, congressman, like get to go to this great legacy. But my entire time in the military, I don't think everybody, anybody ever told me like encouraging things or were like, I believe in you. Like the most encouraging thing was like meet the standard or go away. Like yeah. you can rise to what we yeah. require or you can just- Yeah, but we don't really think you're gonna meet the standard. Yeah, so no encouragement at all in my process, really like discouragement. And then I get into the Navy and in boot camp, I get singled out. I'm one of the youngest people. Um, there was only a handful of guys. Uh, uh, under yeah, because you're still 18 at this point, I was right? 19 by the time I joined the Navy. I'm a, one of a handful of guys uh, under 20 years old. The average age in my class was uh, almost 25, 24 something. 70% um, of the class college graduated, almost 30% NCAA athletes, multiple Olympians. And like, I thought I was a great athlete in high school. Like I ran the 400 pretty good. And then I get around all these other guys and we get to Great Lakes. We get to, you know, Buds and Great Lakes, this process before Buds. And I'm in the bottom third of the class. And I'm surrounded by all these people that are incredible athletes that have been training for four or five years. Some of these guys, their fathers are Navy SEAL. Some of these guys have been, had a SEAL mentor for a decade. And here's me just like, you know, a year ago, I learned about this and here I am. Yeah. And all these guys constantly telling me, my roommate in, uh, there's a process of athletic training where they try to get guys as ready as they can before they go to Bud's. 
I'm so yeah, so you graduate from boot camp, yes. and they take you to what's called pre-buds that's all just about increasing your... So my, my roommate at, at pre-buds, this athletic like training process, it's, really, it's a really cool process that the Navy made. It's run by a bunch of like former athletes, guy used to be a strength and conditioning coach for the NFL. Like They want to get you ready. My roommate, through this whole process, uh, his father was a Navy SEAL, and they would rank everybody in the class athletically. My roommate is number one guy. He's the fastest guy. He's the strongest guy. He was one of the best swimmers. He ranked number one. And he had been to Bud's before, and he quit his first time. And I'm roommating with this guy. And he was not saying, like, man, here's what it takes. Here's how you can do it. Every day he said, Uncle Bach, what are you even doing here? You have no chance. Like, I tried at 19, and I quit. Like, I wasn't ready. Yeah, I trained like, for, in I, his mind, he's like, I was better than you at 19. Yeah, he's like, and, and he said, I quit. And I've trained for the last five years to get here. I'm cut from the cloth of a seal. My father's a seal. What makes you think that you could make it through this program? I heard that like so Like, you're often. hearing that every day almost. Oh, yeah. And, and certainly, it's when the instructors see anything that they can pick on. And they also look at the guys who uh, the peers don't like, and, the, and they'll single you out. So I got singled out so many times just... You know, so encouraged on this journey <laughs> of becoming a Navy SEAL. Yes, you're doing you're doing exactly what you're called to do. Everyone is just for you. So you graduate. I remember going to uh, driving up to Chicago with your parents, going and watch you watching you graduate from boot camp, and you go into Buds, which which explain explain a little bit for people that don't know the SEAL community. Yeah, so Buds, what Buds it's an, is it's an acronym for Basic Underwater Demolitions. It's um, there's a lot of uh, routine and ritual and and what that is. It's been around since uh, the SEAL teams were created in 1962. It's a six-month-long process, about 180 days. Um, that is just absolutely brutal. My class started with uh, nearly... And there's three phases, right? There's three phases. You've got first phase, second phase, third phase. First phase is really like a test of heart and character. There's not really any learning. They're just going to beat the snot out of you and see who's standing at the end. Um, Second phase is about, they teach you how to dive, but it's a test of performance under pressure. So you, cause you can have guys who have great heart and character, like a lot of fight in them, but those guys don't necessarily perform well under pressure. And then they take, if you can make it through that, they take you to third phase and they teach you like you go out to the island and for 30 days straight, you, you barely sleep most days and you're you know blowing up C4 on two hours of sleep, charges that you just built the day before. And then you're gonna go spend eight hours on the range and you know, shoot paper targets in the, in the uh, you know, just sweating to death at three yards, like just make some of the funnest things like weapons and explosives, like the most unfun thing to do. Yeah. The Navy yeah, that's really what I've heard you that. say before about the Navy is like the Navy can take the most fun thing and make it horrible. Oh, yeah. That, that's most guys, like most guys in the SEAL teams don't, it, like I was a jump master, I enjoy skiving, but most of those guys like, I hate sky, skydiving. It can be one of the most fun experiences, but the Navy is like pro at like all these things that should be fun will make them unfun. <laughs> so anyways. So you're going but, through this six month process, yeah, so you get there. I'm, I'm just at the beginning of this six month process and that's where you really start to see, you know, see who's who and see what's what. Uh, that guy who had been my roommate, um, number one in our class athletically, he was the third person to quit. He quit on the first day. He's the third person to quit. Um, that meant something to me. Uh, but then all going through, I see all these people, like the guy in my class who was uh, an Olympic athlete, um, sponsored by Adidas, a sponsored runner. He quit on a run. I'm like one of the worst runners. Uh, I barely made it through passing all of my four-mile timed runs. And then here you have this guy who quits on a run. And like in the state of California, he was the fastest runner. So like how does an day. Olympic runner quit on a run? That, that's a great question. Um, how does he quit on a run? So this guy, he, can, he could have outrun anybody on the beach that day, but there's two types of runs. Like in Buds, you have a four mile timed run where you have to run a set distance and a set time. They don't give you a clock, it's just, we'll see if you make it. 
And then there's other runs, they don't have a name for them, uh, but what I call them is unknown distance runs, where we're gonna run a certain a distance for a certain time at an undetermined pace, and all you have to do is stay with me. If you can't stay with me, we're, there's gonna be more so pain. there's an instructor in front of you. There's he's like, we're gonna run until we're done running You today. don't know if he's gonna run four miles or 50. And so this guy, he quits on this run, he could have outrun everybody on the beach that day. But the instructors are pretty scary dudes. They, they do a really great job of hand selecting some T2 Terminators uh, from the active duty teams <laughs> to come guard the gates of what it means to be a part of this program. And the, and the guy who uh, was leading that run that day, like he would, do, he would do four mile timed runs with the students wearing a 40 pound vest and outrun most of the students. This guy was a for real Terminator. And he was leading the run that day. And this guy, the reason he quit was because in his mind, he made the run harder than it actually was. What he started, truly, this guy could have outrun everybody, but what he kept saying to himself, saying to himself when it hurt, like he should have just looked at me because I'm like in more pain than anybody, but I'm still there. <laughs> but what he kept saying- It's like saying, a Garrett can do it, I, I probably that's could what do it. That's what he should have been thinking, but that's not what was in his mind. What, he, what was in his mind was like, man, what if, we, what if he goes for another hour? What if he goes for another I don't know if hours? I could run for this long. And so, like, that's what's really hard for a lot of people in life is those unknown distance, times run, unknown distance type runs because that's a lot of what life is like. You don't know how far you're going to have to go. You just need to keep running. Yeah, like you don't know how long you're going to have to do something, how long you're going to deal with something. And so so many people quit because of that. Seneca, brilliant man, Seneca says it this way, some people suffer more in their minds than in reality. And that's exactly what that guy did that day. But what, what I know is if, some, if you suffer more in your mind than, re, than in reality, the opposite can also be true. Reality can be awful, but you can understand, you can control what your own thoughts are. Yeah, that's really good. So, so then in first phase, so each one of those phases is three months, right? 12 weeks. Uh, two months. Two months. Yeah. yeah, two, four, six. Yeah, bad at math. So three, six, nine, two, four, six, same thing. Killing it. <laughs> What's three months between friends? So... Um, so in first phase is when you do Hell Week, right? Right. So, so at what point in that in that so two hell months week is, hell week? is Hell Week is the really the crucible, and for a lot of Navy SEALs, um, the, a guy came before my class and told the most incredible story. Um, there's actually some books written about it, about what happened to him, and I, I, it'd take me too long to describe it. But he, after he described what had happened to him, he told a story of how when I was going through that, I remembered going through Hell Week, and I said, if I can do Hell Week, I can do this. So that's the reason it is so hard, but a little bit about what Hell Week is. It's a five-day process. So my class had started with almost 200. By the time we're starting Hell Week, we're uh, close to 90 students. We're gonna start on- and that's these guys just, that's these guys yeah. right here, right on the left. The, well, those are the guys who finished. Uh, I'll get through Hell Week and then I'll talk okay. about some of these pictures. Yeah, don't let me interrupt you. Oh, you're doing great. Um, <laughs> I'm being Pastor Keith today. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then I'll just roll with it. <laughs> bow, bow to the sensei. Um, so we start Hell Week with, with almost 90 students. It's a five-day process that starts on Sunday night, goes all the way till Friday. At most, you'll sleep about two hours. Um, they, they let you sleep on, uh, for an hour on Wednesday and an hour on Thursday because they found out that if they don't, it'll start to cause brain damage. Uh, so like, we'll take you all the way to the point of brain damage, but from, the, from Sunday <laughs> night till Friday, two hours of sleep. You run over 200 miles during that time. Uh, from Sunday to Friday, most of that with a boat on your head, like you see in this picture. Um, running and in this picture, you're wearing helmets. Yeah, the, but we're only wearing don't... helmets in this picture because the picture to the right of it, 
Uh, you can see me there with the paddle in my hand. We're doing an exercise called rock portage where you kind of hilariously try to paddle an inflatable boat with like massive uh, waves behind you up onto the rocks. But so that 200 miles. So but in, in buds, you don't wear helmets while you're carrying a boat. Only for rock portage so okay. that you don't crack your skull on a, a giant. Yeah, because we don't want rock. you to have brain damage. Yeah. Main goal. But at a baseline, no brain damage. <laughs> um, but most of those 200 miles you run with that boat on your head. Uh, if you want to know what that feels like, imagine like while you're running, Pastor Keith is behind you just slamming you on the top of the head with a phone book. Because uh, that boat weighs about 160 pounds with no water or sand in it. And it's inflatable, so it starts to bounce. Students learn how to run like perfectly And your boat smooth. crew is five guys? Six, supposed to be six, but a lot of times in, during Hell Week, your boat crew will diminish down to five or even four uh, guys for a time. Yeah, so when Garrett, when Garrett came home from, uh, from Bud's, he had a few weeks at home. He had a, his head was shaved. He had a bald spot, looked like my head. He had a bald spot uh, the guys that was who, the guys like who, right here that was just from the boat rubbing on your yeah, head. Yeah, so I had a, a bad spot on my head where the hair didn't come back for a couple months. But the guys who have hair like you, their hair never came back. Like, their hair was going to be gone in a few years anyway. Yeah. We'll just go ahead and They're knock like it Like full, full monk with it, like yeah. just donut head. Yes. Um, so I say that to say that's a little bit about what the hell we yeah. process is. I could spend a long time talking about it. And if anybody's super interested in this stuff, there's a Discovery Channel documentary called Bud's Class 234 that really shows a lot of this stuff. Would re be really great 4th of July watching. Everything in there is true. It's just not everything. Yeah. There's some stuff that can't We're make not going to put this on TV. There's some things that can't make the documentary, but everything in the documentary is true. So on the, on the first night, right of hell week your your like best friend at the team quit right yeah so big thing uh started leading into hell week right they put you in this classroom at, at one o'clock in the afternoon and hell week is going to start somewhere between like seven and midnight you don't know when and the reason they do that and if anyone's been through anything painful uh in their life they'll know that this is true uh, the most painful thing is sometimes the anticipation of the pain when you know that the pain is coming. And uh, they let all these students sit there in the classroom knowing that they're about to start one of the most painful things they'll experience in their life. Um, and the conversation eventually gets to, uh, in, in the midst of all the fear and anxiety in that room, the conversation gets to, hey, do you think you'll make it? Do you think you'll make it through Hell Week? And um, the class had thinned out some at this point, and a lot of the guys who were the big discouragers weren't really there at this point. But I finally get to speak for myself because I've had for the last, at that, at that point, I went through Hell Week in November 2010. I joined June. So nearly six months at this point, I've just faced like discouragement almost every day from people telling me like, what are you even doing here, man? And then my boat crew asked me, hey, do you think you'll make it? And what I said to them was what I said before I ever went to join the Navy. I said, not only do I think I'll make it, I know I'll make it. And not only do I know I'll make it, when I finish, when, after we finish, on Saturday, when we go to med checks, and most people are on crutches, when guys are going to be in the hospital with SIPE, which is blood in their lungs, uh, like a really brutal type of pneumonia, when guys have chafed so bad the inside of their legs looks like hamburger meat, when everyone's like that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go for a run on the beach by myself just to put a little bit of icing on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, you're, you're, uh, you're cheering because you know I made it. It wouldn't have been very great if I didn't make it. But... And then he got brain damage on the beach, and we don't know where he is now. <laughs> so, so, we, so we finished, and what that conversation turned to was I felt like when I, when I had that conversation with my boat crew in that room, I felt like I was back in my recruiter's office because I heard the same questions I'd heard before. What makes you so sure? How do you know that you'll make it? 
you're arrogant, you're a punk. All these other guys are barely gonna make it. What, what makes you think that you could? I heard all these same questions again. And all I could say was, we'll see. Because they'd, they'd asked for my, for my opinion, I gave it to them, and then it was time to get tested. But so we finish Hell Week, and I see, it happens as I see it. I remember we finished Hell Week. So the, these pictures here, this uh, picture on the left, that's the class that finished Hell Week with me. That's Bud's class 286. I'm on the bottom row, third from the left. Uh, you can see me again over here. Top picture is uh, three-star Admiral, Admiral Harward. You can Google him. Uh, you can tell he's scary just from his Wikipedia page, but he's a scary dude. Um, great pictures. And then Josh wanted some cool guy pictures yeah, to put so up there that cool really have nothing pictures, to do with so this story. There's Garrett hanging loose, jumping out of a plane. and then That's actually over the coast of Somalia. That's awesome. So, so on the... So on the first night of Hell Week, y'all start, and you're, you're like best buddy that's yeah, there. Yeah, the, the one guy who's been like a, a really great dude to me uh, quits. He was um, someone who actually, I didn't really have any friends either to hang out with on the weekends. Most guys would go, just go drink. I wasn't even old enough to get into the bar. Uh, but, but this particular guy, he had chosen not to drink, and he would hang out with me on the weekends. And he was, uh, he was one of the top performers in our class, and people would give him a hard time for just hanging out with me. Uh, but then he... Um, Sunday night of Hell Week. We're in surf torture, which surf torture, they don't call it that anymore. The Navy's trying to scrub some of those terms out, but the, the training is still the training. Surf torture is they put you in the, wa the Pacific uh, water, which is all year long. It's going to be between 58 and 62 degrees, and they let you sit there for about an hour. You, like, lock arms with all the guys. They lo you lock like, arms. So all, all 90, whatever, these guys are locked yeah, arms in a row. we're locked arms on the beach, and it's re actually really hard to stay connected in the tide. They do this really great thing where they make all of the students um, swallow a temperature probe. So the, the instructors are, can see on a screen everyone's internal body temp, and they'll just keep guys in the water until someone gets close to like... Right before you're hypothermic. They, well, they, they'll keep you in the water until someone in the class gets to like fatal hypothermia mode, and they're like, all right, we'll pull them now. Like, not only, we won't just keep them there as long as we feel comfortable. We've actually got some... We can measure we've got it. some science How now. close you are we'll to brain damage. all the way till the edge. <laughs> but all you have to... You know what's great about that is you got to know, like, they won't kill me. Like, that's some of the thought process there. But so anyways, this guy, he quits, and uh, I thought he was joking, like he's starting to get up out of the surf, and I'm trying to pull him back, and he says to me, um, he says, I, won't, I can't do this, but I know you can. And that was, like, I wrestled with that for like a few hours, like, you know, he's always been my friend, but I don't know if he sees me the way that I see myself, what would make him see that in me, but, but he went and quit. But anyways, I want to I fast forward to the, the end of Hell Week, um, so I finish, a uh, bunch of, these are the, this is the class of guys that finish with me. And then on Saturday, we go to med checks. And, you know, a dozen guys in my class are on crutches. All these guys' legs look destroyed. Some guys, I wish I had pictures of what people look like. Faces, like, so swollen up. There's this one guy in my class. He looked like um, something from that movie, the, that movie, The Coneheads. Because, like, this weird, like, you, you can't even find this in, like, a medical textbook. His forehead, like, bowed out like this like from, from brain swelling, like all kinds of weird things happen to people. And anyways, long story short, um, we finished med checks and by my, everyone like hobbled back to the barracks. I didn't even have any chafe. Like I was totally fine. Like I didn't even have blisters on my feet. And I went out to the beach by myself and went for a run. I ran down, I ran down the beach to the rocks in front of the Dell. If you've been to Coronado, you're familiar with the Dell and, and the cool rocks that are out there. And I sat there on the rocks and kind of just had a moment with myself and a moment with God, um, really thinking about how 
if I had let it, what all these other people said about me, what all these other people saw for my future could have had a massive influence on me. But on the other hand, if I focus more on what God says about me, if I focused on what I see and what I saw for my future, I had the, like nothing could stop me. Yeah. yeah. And so, so we, we've talked a little bit about this and I think, you know, a lot of your thinking in that moment was like, so, so inspiring to me as it related to, cause what you thought about was like Joshua and Caleb, you know? And so there's a story in the Bible where Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. This is our year of promise as a church. We're believing God for our promises All in our life, right? All promises are yes and amen. All God's promises are yes and amen. We're believing for that. And so Moses, in the, in the time when the Israelites are going into the promised land, he sends 12 spies in there. And if you read the story, uh, 10 of them come back and they're like, man, we've got grapes that are like as big as our heads. It takes we have, two guys to carry these grapes. It takes two guys to carry. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. But there's no way we could win. There's no way we could take it. And then there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who said, hey, like, yeah, there's giants in there, but we can kill them all. And um, so we've talked a lot about that was your yeah, perspective it's, it's, throughout it's, that it's season. Numbers, it's Numbers 13 where, where this happens if you want to read the story. You know, God, uh, God says it to Moses, and then Moses says it to the 12 men. It's not like these guys were punks either. They were the leaders of the 12 tribes. And Moses says, go and give me a report. Go and see, uh, go, and, go and tell me what you see, because God has promised this land to us. Go and observe it and come back and give a report. So 12 guys, and it wasn't like a short journey either. It took those guys 40 days to go about 200 miles and back. Like it was a for real journey to go and observe all of the land that God wanted to give them, because they were a massive group of people. You've got 600,000 fighting men uh, that they're all representing. So it wasn't a small group of Israelites. But how could, how could 12 guys all see the same thing? 12 guys all go see the same thing and 10 come back and their response to Moses is great too. They say, oh man, it was a great and beautiful land. The fruit was so big, all of this, but the giants are too big. Their walls are heavily fortified. Heavily fortified. These are giants that are descendants of Anak. Some of the, these were the giants that every giant was compared to. Were you as big as those giants? These are the biggest people that have ever walked the face of the earth. God, I know you. Uh, I know you took us out of Egypt, which is you know the 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 largest and most uh, prosperous and best fighting country in the world at this time. And I know you parted the Red Seas for us. Uh, but at this point, I don't know how you could do this. That's what ten guys said. But then you have two guys who came back, Joshua and Caleb, right? And I love Caleb because in Numbers 14, it says about Caleb that he had a different type of spirit or a different attitude. So, but how could 10 guys all see the same thing? I kind of felt it's very similar to what I experienced where I'm with all these other students and they're saying, man, this mountain's impossible. Man, these instructors are going to crush us. And my, my thought was, well, I know it can be done. I, the other people, it's not like we're trying to climb a mountain that's never been climbed anyways. Um, other people have become seals. There's literally 285 classes before us that have done this. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a little over 4,500 seals living and dead at this point. Uh, but at that point, like I'm thinking like, okay, so there's plenty of guys that have made it. Like certainly someone can do it. Why not me? But that's, but these 10 spies, they said, man, like the giants are just too big. God, I know you've done all this. But there were two men who said, and, and their response was really great. The, Caleb gave his report to Moses and he said, certainly it can be done. And at that point, all the Israelites became so mad and, and angry that they even wanted to kill uh, Joshua and Caleb. They're ready to stone them. Yeah. And I think that that's like an underwritten part of the story, how much courage those guys had to stand up to 600,000 people and say it could be done. Yeah, we can handle it. And I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked about too, that really the first thing I think that really kept you 
that that you that was your belief center was not like how how bad you were, how awesome. Yeah, because if it was about how physically capable I was, that got shook the moment I I showed up there. Because yeah. that and that was really never my strength. Yeah, it was like you knowing, man. I know God has a plan for my life. Right? There were there was two things that I heard so often in my life. I heard them from my parents, and again, like I said, I'm a product of this place. And I heard them from Pastor Keith, who has a massive influence on me, a massive influence on my father, my entire family. The first thing is that God has a plan for your life telling you that you have purpose. My parents would tell me how from the time before I was born that they, would, they prayed for me and my mother's womb, right? And parents, just, just listen to me here for a second. Uh, you can say like, man, you can't say that to a five-year-old. He doesn't know what that means. You're right, he doesn't know what it means. But I can tell you that your five-year-old will remember what you said. I didn't mean anything to me when my father told me at five years old that we prayed for you since you were in your mother's womb. It didn't mean anything to me when he said God has a plan for your life. But you know what? I heard it so many times. I remember it every single time that he said it. So when I face things in my life where it's like, man, is there a plan here? I remember that my parents said that. So there's that, that God has a plan for your life that's called purpose. Every single person in this room, the fact that you have breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your life. He wants to do something with you. The first time- So like then when you were discouraged, like when you're getting discouraged at boot camp, when you're getting discouraged at pre-buds, and you're getting discouraged at buds, in your mind, the tape that's running through your head is like, I got a, God's got a plan for my life. Absolutely. And the, well, and the second thing goes right along with that. It's really these two things that underpinned my entire ability to make it through SEAL training. I, it's, I don't, one thing I don't like is that people put me up on, on a pedestal that think like, man, you're like some different type of human. I wish you knew me the way that I knew myself is what I tell people because you don't know how weak I could be. You don't know what my thoughts could have been. So God has a plan for your life that's called purpose. And the second thing is that you have potential. What I heard all the time from Pastor Keith, what I heard all the time from my father is that you can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. Will you pay the price for the destiny that God has for you? So when you have purpose, that's God has a plan for your life. And when you have potential, you can have anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. You're infinitely capable to do anything you wanna do in this world. And what I knew is that all these guys were, were, they didn't, they were better trained than me. They prepared more than me, but they didn't have those two things. Yeah, they didn't, they have didn't understand that. that. They didn't understand that for, I don't, know what, I don't know what their life is like. I don't know what God is doing for them, but I'd been prophesied over. I'd been prayed over my entire life and God was doing something yeah. with me. And I knew that if I would just be willing to pay my price, if I, would, if I would say, no matter how big the mountain is, I know that God wants me to be here. I know that if I give everything that I have, that it's possible. If you believe that, if you'll believe in possible, if you'll believe in purpose, nothing can stop you. There's a lot, like sin can hold you back in life. A lot of sin can hold you back in life. But the one thing that'll just pull the plug on the whole show is fear. When people, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you read all through when people are afraid, it stops God's ability to work in their life. Not that, he can't, not that God can't do anything, but when you're afraid, he's, he's saying we're gonna have to change this before we can move forward. God can work with sin, God can, God can redeem you, but when you're afraid, God's gonna say you're not ready to be used. Because like for you, you know, it's one thing to know God has a plan for your life and we should all know that. The fact that we're alive today says that. But the second thing is really believing and, and knowing that you're willing to pay the price for God's plan requires you to have way more faith than fear. And so when you're sitting in a situation like that, right, and, you're, and all these other guys are feeling afraid, like, I don't know, I don't know if I can make it, I don't know if I can do it. You're like, no, this is a price I'm willing to pay, and I'm not going to be afraid of what comes next, right? So like you, you said this last service, but what would be, um, in your experience, 
the number one reason why a guy would stay and the number one reason why a guy would leave? Um, well, there's one, I want to say something real quick before I get to that. Um, that story of the 12 spies, that's really the, the, the question. It's, you got to pay attention in the Bible when, when uh, God asks questions. Um, but this is, or, or anytime you're asked a question, certainly when they already know the answer. Um, but with, with, this, with this position where the 12 spies are in, go and give us a report. That's a question that God is asking every single one of you. He's saying, look at the land that I've promised you. There's a river that I need you to cross over, and then you're going to go into the land that's been promised to you. It's not just the promised land, it's the land that's been promised to you. Now tell me, what do you see? That's the question that God's going to ask you. What do you see about what's in front of you? Twelve spies went, went and ten and come back, came back after God's already done so much for them. After God has spoken directly to them, you're my people. I will be with you wherever you go. And ten said, I don't think it can be done. You, the question that you're going to have to ask for your own life is I, I promise you God has a plan for you. I promise that you can do anything you want in life as, as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. But the question for you is what do you see for your life? You're going to have to answer that question. And if you answer it with fear, I promise your life will be nothing more than suffering. But if you can answer that question with a faith perspective, if you can answer that question and say, Lord, your way is higher than my way. I don't care how big the giants are, but I'm going to be unafraid of these giants. Nothing will stop you. So, so the, um, you can be seated. The main question that we need to ask ourselves today is what do you see? Like when you look at, you know, for us, like for me, I don't have a context of uh, going through hell week, going through buds. I don't really have that context. Um, but for all of us, we go through difficulty in our life. We go through difficulty in our family. If you're married, you know, God has a plan for your marriage. But what do you see in that marriage, right? If you have kids, if you have a family, God has a plan for your kids. What do you see in that? Because what a lot of people see is they see, they see fear. They see uncertainty. They see doubt. They see all the things that could not happen. And so they end up saying, to, they end up saying in their life what Garrett's friend said to him in Hell Week. Hey, like, I can't make it, but maybe someone else can. And the thing we have to, the place we have to get to is where we're not fear people, but we're faith people. And anybody can get interrupted by fear at any moment. I mean, think about what it would be like for God to have to carry you for so long, for him to drop the ocean down on top of the Egyptians. Like, surely these people would, would know at this point that God's with them wherever you go. Yeah. It's something that you have to remind yourself of over and over again to be fearless. The Israelites, this is later on when they're in the desert, this is where this is kind of like what the mistake of fear looks like and the mistake of, of this is how people come back to like, well, I guess I don't think I can make it anymore. The way that God provides for the Israelites uh, where he drops manna from heaven, where he drops dove and pheasant down where they can have food to eat. The Israelites go wrong when, because God says, I'm going to provide for you every day. But yeah. the Israelites are saying, well, I'm going to hold a little bit back for tomorrow in case God decides to not feed us tomorrow. Mm. And the way that God works is he says, I'm not going to give you enough faith for the whole journey. I'm going to give you enough faith for today. If you start trying to say, like, I can't see the rest of the way, God, that's, the, that's fear knocking at your door. And fear is so smart, it knows how to whisper right into your thoughts and say, I know God's done so much for you, but you, you see, see, he's brought you from here to here, but you don't know how you're going to get over there. Why, why do you think that you could make it? What if God abandons you? That's what fear sounds like. Yeah, like that Olympic runner who said, you know, in, in the Olympic runner's mind, the question was not, I don't know if I can run. The question was, I don't know if I can run like this for 180 days. Because he doesn't know how long it's going to be till it stops. Yeah, and so, so many people, they go through life and they don't realize God gives us the faith and the strength for today 
and we wake up tomorrow and the Bible says God renews our strength. And God can renew our strength every day and he wants to do that. And it's about knowing that you know, for starting with knowing that you know that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your marriage. God has a plan for your, every, every part of your life. That's the most important thing you gotta know. But then there's a second thing. It's not enough to just know that. It's you gotta be a person who's willing to pay the price for that plan for yourself. And this is what a lot of people don't understand about God. They think, well, I'm gonna get my life right with God and then God's gonna fix everything for me. That's not how God works. What God does is he puts us in a position to do our part to make that happen. You see, the, Garrett said this last service, but the people that most of the time, or in your observation, when people would quit during training, it wasn't when they were in the middle of exercise, yeah. it was when they were like sitting down for a minute. Yeah, so people would quit, not like, and it's not that it didn't happen sometimes, but most of the time people quit when, they had stopped, when we had stopped moving, when it was waiting for the next evolution. Once guys get their feet moving, once they start acting on what they know they're supposed to start doing, then their thoughts get back realigned with it. But once, when, it's, when it's an opportunity, to, like most guys quit before an evolution, not during the yeah. evolution. And so it's about getting action. It's about going, okay, I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to make this happen. What a lot of people do is they say, God, like I just really need you to fix my marriage, but I'm not gonna do one thing about it. I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not gonna worry about that at all. I need you to do it. God, I want you to, here's, here's what we deal with in our youth ministry. God, I want, you to, I want you to fix my kids, but I'm not gonna be a good parent to them. I'm just gonna drop them off at church and hope you handle them. You teach them. That's not how God works. How God works is he's put you in the situation. Thank God put, you're there. Thank God you're there because if you weren't there, it wouldn't happen without you. And so many people live a life and they don't realize what Garrett's talking about in that the potential they have in the situation to change the atmosphere because they're living with their own fear, their own doubt, their own insignificance, their own whatever, not realizing that really ultimately the only thing that's gonna make it work in any situation is you and me. And we gotta know that God has a plan because that gives us the confidence to continue to take action, continue to do what we know to do. One of the things I love that Pastor Keith has taught me in my life is like there's been so many times where I've gone, man, like, Dad, I'm doing everything I can and it's just not working. And one of the ways we define persistence around here is being persistent is doing what you know to do even when doing what you know to do doesn't seem to be getting any results. Yes. And it's so hard to do that, but you're the one you're the one that can do it. You're the one that God's put in the situation to do it. And in just a second, we're gonna do something. And this, it's, we're playing music right now, but this isn't meant to be an emotional thing because what Garrett just said is a powerful statement, is that it's not about sitting still and just waiting, it's about being a person that takes action on the next evolution. In the Bible, the Bible talks about altars. In the church world, the front of this stage would be called an altar. Like if you went to a performing arts center, they don't call the front of their stage an altar. In scripture, an altar is a place where you lay things down. And you know what we need to lay down? Some of you need to lay down the fact that you just believe that God doesn't have a plan for your life. You need to lay that down. You need to stop with all that stuff. You need to move from where you the are. The fact that you have breath in your lungs means that God still wants to do something with you. Absolutely. That's where it starts, is going, God, I know you have a plan for my life. I know that you've chosen me. I know that you've destined me for greatness. But the second thing is even more true for most of us in this room. We know God has a plan for our life, but our fear is preventing us from moving. Our uncertainty is preventing us from doing the things that we know to do. Or we've been doing the things that we know to do and it's not getting any results, so now our doubt has taken over. 
Where it's like, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to take place. Fear is what keeps you from the promised land. All of his promises are yes and amen. But before the Israelites can get into the promised land, God says to Joshua, tell, the, tell my people to be strong and courageous. Because if you have fear, you'll never make it into the promised land. If you want the promise of God for your life, you're going to have to lay down your fear. You're going to have to start believing, stop believing in the doubt and start believing that his ways are higher than our ways. That just because you can't see it doesn't mean he can't get you there. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. It didn't say God hasn't given us a spirit of greed. It doesn't say God hasn't given us a spirit of lust. God can overcome those things and he can redeem you. It says God has not given you a spirit of fear. Because if you fear things, that means that you don't fear God. When you fear God, you fear nothing else in this world. When you understand that the creator of this universe, the one who put the stars into motion, the one who created this whole thing and also knows you by name and knows the hairs on your head, when you know that he has a plan for you, you know that you don't have to be afraid of any, anything else. Yeah, so let me tell you something. As much as you want to, fear stops right here. Yes. As much as you want to. This altar right here represents a place where some of you today are gonna lay your fear down and walk out of this room and be free. You're gonna lay your fear down for your marriage, for your kids, for your job, for your business, for your money, for America, for whatever it is that you've been afraid of. You're gonna lay this fear down, walk out of this building and operate in faith from this moment forward. But moving in this room, we don't do this a lot where we just call people forward, but moving in this room represents what Garrett just said, that it's about taking action. It's about doing something. Changing your position in this room means you're gonna change your relationship to fear. Now you're gonna leave your fear right here and walk out of here and go be free. Because I believe even more than me encountering this message, Garrett has lived this message of walking in faith even when there's a lot of reasons to be afraid. So I'm not gonna count to 10, I'm not gonna count to three, we're not gonna do a whole eyes down, eyes closed thing. If that's you, and you wanna lay your fear down and it ends right here, Every it ends single right now. day you have to overcome fear. You need to make a decision, because that's what it is. You need to make Absolutely. a decision that I'm tired of living in fear, that I'm ready to get to the land that God has called me to. I'm ready to start living the way that God wants me to live. You need to make a decision right now to come forward and we're gonna pray for you that God will lay down your fear because fear will keep you from the life that you're supposed to live. And if that's you and it stops right here, get up here right now. I count to 10, nothing. Come on, we'll clap for you. It's really for all of us, but whoever wants it, let's go get it. I'm, I'm standing right here with you because I got to overcome my fear every single day. We can keep clapping. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I wanna pray a prayer just over everyone that's come forward, just in believing for you and believing with you that all of his promises are yes and amen, that what God's gonna do in your life because you took action, because you said, God, I can't, I can't see how you can do this in my business. I can't see how you could possibly do this in my marriage. I can't see how you could save my child. You don't have to see it. You just have to say that his way is higher than our way. So let me pray for you in your belief. Let me pray for you as you took a step forward this morning to come and lay down your fear and live life the way that God has intended you to live. Heavenly Father, we just honor you and we thank you. 
We thank you for the breath in our lungs, which means that you still have a plan for our life. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room this morning, and I pray especially for every person that's come forward, that like your word says in Ezekiel 36, that you can give us a new heart and you can give us a new spirit. Lord, I cast out and I pray against any spirit of fear upon these people, Father, that they've come forward saying, Lord, I can't see it, but I know that I want it. I know that I want to be a price payer. I know that I'm not going to be afraid because fear is what's going to keep me from the promised land. So Lord, we receive right now just this spirit of boldness, this spirit of fearlessness, this spirit of courage over every person in this room that has said, Father, your way is higher than our way. And we cast out all fear in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. amen. Talk about Joshua 1.9. Yes, jo so Joshua 1.9. And let me just, these, these shirt, the shirt that I'm wearing right now that Pastor Keith and Pastor Josh is wearing, and you see some other people wearing this morning. On Saturdays at 7 a.m., we have what's called Mighty Men. It's, it's just discipleship and following God with a lot of fearlessness mixed in. We do this every Saturday morning. We do rock kazak. What does that mean? Rock kazak is Hebrew for be strong and courageous. In Joshua 1, God says to Joshua, go and tell my people this. Before you cross over the river to go into the promised land, here's what you're going to have to do. He says it four times to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And when you look at the Hebrew, the word rock says, do nothing else. So God is saying, you don't have to know what to do, but don't do anything except be fearless, except be strong and courageous. So that's what we yell every Saturday morning. Can we do a little rock kazak this morning, Pastor Keith? I want to invite everyone in this room to stand up and join us. You don't have to be a man. You're, there's probably a mighty man sitting around you who will be a part of this with you. The, this, might, this might seem strange to you. This might shake a little bit of you. Well, let, this me, is... let me just say something to you before, before you go out, because we're going to bless you out. But some of you don't realize it, but you have a shout in you that stopped shouting a long time ago. And the enemy wants to keep you quiet. He wants to shut your mouth. He doesn't want you to have a reason to shout. And therefore, the world cries out in pain. The world shouts out their anger and their meanness and their vitriol. But what we're going to do is to shout the very two things that God has commanded us all to do, and that is to be strong and courageous. And this is what that yes. means. So no matter if you're an introvert, an ambivert, or a... I, you, I feel like I'm in the ambivert category, but I'll you're be ambivert, right now. Okay, okay. In other words, it's not, it's not about your personality. I want you to let the shout come out of you. Yes. Come on, y'all. That's very, when the walls of Jericho came down. Go the ahead. very fact that you have a voice is evidence of the Spirit of God within you. There's a reason nothing else on this earth has the ability to speak. Because in Genesis, it says that with man, unlike no other creature, God breathed the breath of life into us. You have a spirit in you, and that's why you can speak. So when you shout, you're releasing your spirit. You're saying not just, not just with how I feel, but with everything with the, that's in me, from the place that's most special that God created and breathed into me. Be strong and courageous. So I want you to take a deep breath because what's about to happen is I'm going to yell rock kazak as loud as you've ever seen a man yell. And you're going to yell it back at me three times. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Rock Thank you. Oh. <laughs> so 
Let's give it up one more time for Garrett, Garrett. for serving our country, for helping lead our men. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.